What's the word? Are you coming home for Easter? I hadn't heard since the last I spoke to mother and I love you too. I know things get so busy. Hello and welcome to the Third Coast Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Elliott. Each week we bring you a healthy dose of everything Milwaukee, from music and art to improv comedy to stories, politics, and so much more. This week on the podcast, Adam Carr tells us his story of volunteering for Barack Obama's campaign in November and how the issue of race played out far differently than he'd imagined. And we'll get our bi-weekly fix of Milwaukee music from Aaron Wolf and Adam Levinas of Fan Belt. By now, we've heard every word there is to be said about the historic 2008 presidential election, but hindsight sometimes sheds new light on our collective and personal experiences. Here to talk about how he got Barack Obama elected and the measures he had to take to do so is Adam Carr. At the beginning of October, I was looking for a job at a unique time in history. A huge influx of cash was thrown in the direction of the presidential campaigns, and in that lucky October, some very ripe fruit hung from the low branches. There were flyers all over Milwaukee, advertising a progressive canvassing position that paid $11 an hour. Since I was considering spending October volunteering for the Obama campaign anyways, the prospect of getting paid to do the same kind of work was a simple decision. I called the number, and within a few days, I was walking around Milwaukee suburbs with a clipboard and palm pilot, working for a large, liberal-leaning political organization. The office I worked with was reasonably big, around 100 people, and for Milwaukee, almost unfathomably diverse. Age, race, gender, sexuality, everything, anything. You name it, we had it. It was that kind of campaign. We were working for something so good and so close. For us, differences became background and commonalities foreground. Unfortunately, when you're working for change, that change hasn't come yet. And that's where this story comes from. A story of a racial paradox that couldn't have come from any other situation. For an odd yet blissful month, I canvassed. But campaigns have definite horizons. During the last week of October and first week of November, the focus of the organization shifted to a four-day get-out-the-vote blitz, culminating in Election Day. This was a whole new ballgame. For Get Out the Vote, or GOTV, I worked alongside representatives of nonprofits, advocacy groups, and unions from around the country. There was an amazing amount of eagerness and energy, folks willing to work endless hours to get Obama elected. So what was our charge? We received a plan outlining every detail of how the GOTV campaign was to run, we received an exact number of doors to hit, an exact number of undecided voters to reach, and an exact number of communities that would fall in our sweep of southeastern Wisconsin. We simply had to implement the plan. It was a matter of following directions. Should be simple, right? On the first day of GOTV, November 1st, four days before the election, our newly hired and lightly trained canvassers started to arrive for work about two hours early. After an exhausting and chaotic week of preparations, we were ready for them. I was the welcoming committee. I was told to keep them entertained while they waited, to keep spirits high. After all, we were going to get Obama elected. So I moved through the crowd as it slowly grew for the next two hours. 
making jokes, handing out Obama buttons, high-fiving, hugging, and generally trying to keep morale up. For me, this was a joy. When it was time to start sending folks to the front lines, we followed a simple procedure. I rounded up groups of six and ten canvassers from the waiting area, brought them to a van, and they were taken to neighborhoods around Milwaukee. It took about an hour, but these 60 minutes were the longest of my life. Before I explain exactly what happened, two more pieces of background. During our canvas, we covered a broad range of communities around southeastern Wisconsin. Most were suburbs outside of Milwaukee proper. During the months leading up to Election Day, we sent canvassers into these neighborhoods, and a discouraging trend arose. Minority canvassers in certain suburban districts were bothered by the police and occasionally received threats of physical violence by people living in those neighborhoods. This was a sad, but certainly not new trend. Unfortunately, it was not one that we could hope to overcome in the short term. So to diffuse the problem as effectively as possible, we simply stopped sending minority canvassers to those certain suburbs. This might be difficult to swallow at first. We were not admitting defeat. Strategically, it was the only solution that made sense. When you're working for change, you need to know how to pick your battles. As part of our instructions for GOTV, we received a priority list for the districts we were covering. An example, Van 1 heads to District A, Van 2 heads to District B, and so on, down the list. The priority list we received had 12 vans going to the neighborhoods where minority canvassers had experienced problems. Following procedure, these vans were filled with mostly white canvassers. Here's the hitch. Those 12 vans were the first 12 on the priority list. Those 12 vans needed to be loaded first. What does this mean? I walked through a crowd of 200 people, which happened to be a majority black, picking out mostly white people first. I brought them to the front of the group and loaded them into the vans. There were stares, whispers, and questions. I tried to avoid eye contact, told everybody to be patient, and worked as quickly as I could. Everybody eventually got into a van, but it's not difficult to imagine what this looked like. I repeated this three more times, and on the last day, working with a crowd of 500 people, we did not explain our rationale to the canvassers. How would those incredibly difficult and sensitive sentences sound through a megaphone? It was not the right circumstance for delicate dialogue. We just got it over with, telling ourselves that the ends would justify the means. In the end, we had minimal trouble with police, and Barack Obama won Wisconsin by a landslide. Of course, I can't say that those 60 minutes had anything to do with it. This is a difficult story to tell, and I'm not sure that just a single lesson can be taken away from it. I recognize the absurdity of the situation. I wanted to help Barack Obama get elected, so I segregated people. I actually segregated people. It may follow logically from the circumstances, but it was a ridiculous compromise. The few times I've told this story, whoever's listening racks their brain looking for a way we could have done things better. In the end, the consensus I get is, if only things were different or, hopefully, things like that will never have to happen again. I know how they feel. Change is a slow process. Towards the one 
This podcast was made possible with support from Frontier Radio, WMSC 91.7 FM, anti-established in and supporting local music since 1981. This edition of the Third Coast Cast is proudly sponsored by Alverno Presents, welcoming Rashid Taha to the Pittman Theater on April 18th at 8 p.m. Taha has been fighting the war on fear, complacency, ignorance, and racism for 20 years with a canon of powerful songs jostling rock, electronic, and North African influences. It might be loud, but loud can be beautiful. And here to discuss Milwaukee's ear-splintering noise scene are our friends at FanBelt and noisemaker Brian Whitney. This is Aaron Wolf of FanBelt Milwaukee. And this is Adam Levinas of FanBelt Milwaukee. We're here today with Brian Whitney to dispute the theory that noise is audio pollution. Some people say that noise is beautiful. Today we'll elaborate on this concept of beautiful noise. So Brian, thanks for coming in today. Um, tell us what you know about the noise scene here in Milwaukee. Okay, well, uh, the noise basement scene in Milwaukee is thriving, I would say, right now. Um, I have sort of a unique perspective on this matter. Uh, I am originally from New Jersey, for some people who know my backstory, and I moved here about two years ago. Uh, And I was involved in bands out there as well as bands here. And just in terms of the quality of the bands, the people going to the shows, the venues that are available, the quality level is much higher here. Um, And I think that the bands that you're playing tonight are testament to that in terms of a variety of different genres, but all proficient and all doing things really well. Awesome. Uh, well, let's start with some tracks uh, by some projects that you're involved in. Um, Pigs on Ice, what are we about to hear? Pigs on Ice, what are you about to hear indeed? Um, <laughs> the song that uh, we have is called uh, Whitney Versus the Pedals, and it's I Am Its Namesake, and it has to do with my... Uh, massive gear problems that hold up every show we play. Um, Pigs on Ice is the reason I live here. And uh, How did you guys get here from New Jersey? Uh, well, only I came here from New Jersey. Uh, the other guys in the band are from Appleton Green Bay. Um, I met them when their old bands were on tour, and I booked shows for them on the East Coast. And then uh, we ended up hanging out, and then I came here to visit, and the rest is history. Cool. Let's roll it.
So, Brian, you're also in a couple different projects. Um, one of them also includes a band, Ear of the Scavenger. What can you tell us about Ear of the Scavenger? Uh, Ear of the Scavenger is a collaboration uh, between myself and uh, two other gents who used to be in a band called Cross Wires, and before that were in another band called Paris at 2 a.m., uh, though I don't think this band sounds like either of those. Um, and it's more, I'd say, whereas Pigs and Ice is a bit more uh, abrasive, weird, um, those types of adjectives, uh, You're the Scavenger is more of like a rock band and rooted in that type of sound. So would you consider You're the Scavenger to be in the same line of noise music? Not the same exact line of noise music. I think... Um, Pigs on Ice generally has a bigger following in the basement scene, more specifically. Whereas, uh, Year of the Scavenger tends to play more, has played more club shows historically. And I mean, it's you know they're totally different age groups. The guys who are in Pigs on Ice are about eight years younger than the guys who are in Year of the, Year of the Scavenger, and I'm right in the middle. So it's two, it's almost like two totally different generations of people who have played music here. Cool. Let's roll it. the loudest band that I've seen in Milwaukee so far is uh, If I Had a Hi-Fi. Um, have you seen If I Had a Hi-Fi, Brian? I have. In fact, You're the Scavenger played some out-of-town shows with If I Had a Hi-Fi. And um, they do, they have quite a noisy squall, I guess, is the uh, words I want to use for their live show. And it's interesting because this is the first opportunity I've had to listen to the recorded version of their songs. And it's a totally different beast. Like The vocals are much more come into play and just Parts are much easier to hear, and a very good band live and a very good band on record, just very different. Awesome. Let's roll it. Specifically, we're speaking about noise rock. So, um, can you somehow define the term noise rock to us? 
Well, uh, what we're what we're referring to as noise rock, I guess, for the purposes of today's podcast, because uh, it's always kind of difficult with genres and everything, as everybody's well aware. Um, bands that are more steeped in a punk tradition, not necessarily playing punk music, but having that sort of attitude that we're just going to do what we want, and this is what's going to come out of it. And it's generally the hallmarks of the genre are a lot of feedback and a lot of messy guitar parts, and you know, occasionally bands with a sense of humor. Um, occasionally bands that do not have as much of a sense of humor, though I'm firmly in the former camp. Um, but that's basically that kind of idea in a very, like, sort of do-it-yourself, like, su- uh, ideally a, a very efficient mode of performing. Do you think, like, for, like, a reference point, do you think Sonic Youth was kind of, like, the hallmark band of that? Sonic Youth certainly, at least for the first decade of their career, could be considered uh, a hallmark band of that type of sound um bands like flipper i would say um any kind of band in that sort of punk tradition but sort of weaving their way out of it the jesus lizard of course is the band that infinitely gets mentioned a million times in conjunction with my band and other bands in the in the area yeah the decider loves to compare you guys to jesus lizard yeah <laughs> it's great <laughs> and i think i saw that term in the shepherd express yeah i believe we, too. i believe we bow at the altar if I'm <laughs> awesome so why do you think this this noise rock kind of flipper slash jesus lizard slash sonic youth kind of sound is so popular in milwaukee i don't know and it's interesting because it's always a sound that really resonated with me but in new jersey a lot of music there is based on the uh, the emo hardcore type of scene, like whatever came out of New York or Boston, uh, mainly, and even some DC to that extent. But that's pretty much as experimental as it got, like Fugazi. Whereas here, I don't know, people just I I had a very long winded theory that I came up with at one point about how it has to do with people who emigrated to this country and then got to New York and stopped and said, okay, I've moved enough. Whereas people who came to the Midwest just wanted to keep going, like wanted something more, and like. I don't know if that's actually true, but people who live here are the descendants of those people who always dug deeper and sought harder. So I don't know if that's true or at all, but I think it's a good theory. I'll roll with it. I second that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I guess that. So yeah, pretty much sums it up. <laughs> the descendant of people who didn't settle in Ellis Island. <laughs> <laughs> we fight tooth and nail. <laughs> yes. Um, have you seen uh, a band called Rapid Adapter? Uh, submitted an mp3 to the site that i really enjoyed have you have you seen them live at all uh i heard the song i have not actually seen them yet um i would like to though just and that's i think they're a perfect example of the type of band that you'd see in a river west basement and and indicative of the quality that you'll find in bands there i've been to i mean besides playing shows i've been to a bunch of shows independently of that and i've never been to a show where there wasn't one band that i really enjoyed so let's roll it here's proximity mind by rapid adapter
So um, one of the most high-profile bands of this genre is uh, Call Me Lightning of Milwaukee. Uh, they're on French Kiss Records. They've been getting loads and loads of press that you know, is really awesome to bring awareness to this genre that's kind of defining Milwaukee now. I mean, do you think that uh, people are going to follow in the Milwaukee sounds footsteps just because of this high-profile band being popular and getting the word out? Uh, I would certainly hope so. Um, I mean, there's I think there's a lot of good bands. Call Me Lightning is a very good band, and it's awesome to have their them on a national profile. And hopefully that in turn brings some attention back to the other bands in Milwaukee of a similar ilk who deserve that attention as well. Now, obviously, there's some there's certain ways that Van becomes nationally popular, and there's not it's not always Seattle, but there are definitely bands that are deserving of similar attention, and it would be interesting to see if they're because they're supposedly recording a new album uh, and it's coming out later this year, from what I understand. Um, It'd be interesting to see if that album raises their profile and in turn raises our profile. That's all the time we have. They're kicking us out of WMSC now. Uh, Thanks for listening. This is Adam Levinas with Fanbelt. This is Aaron Wolf of Fanbelt. And thanks, Brian, for stepping in. We've been talking with Brian Whitney. Also a Fanbelt. (laughs) (laughs) Teehee. This edition of the Third Coast Cast is proudly sponsored by Alverno Presents, welcoming Rashid Taha to the Pittman Theater on April 18th at 8 p.m. Taha has been fighting the war on fear, complacency, ignorance, and racism for 20 years with a canon of powerful songs jostling rock, electronic, and North African influences. That's it for this week. You can check out the podcast every week at www.thirdcoastdigest.com or follow the link to subscribe on our iTunes page. Join us next week for more exciting stories, interviews, life lessons, and more. Thanks to our co-producers, WMSE. Find them at 91.7 FM on your radio dial or on the web at www.wmse.org. This week, we heard music from the daredevil Christopher Wright, The Good Night Loving, and The Off Key, To find out more about the music featured each week or to get your music featured on our podcast, visit thirdcoastdigest.com and look for our podcasts link. I'm Amy Elliott. The Third Coast podcast was recorded at the WMSC studios on the downtown campus of the Milwaukee School of Engineering, produced by Noah Therian and myself, co-produced by Ryan Schleicher and Tom Crawford, and engineered by Joe Crockett. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Oh, oh, oh.